Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 3. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand and our Frontlands team will bring you one. And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to hold on to it and keep it. So once again, the scripture reading is from 2 Kings chapter 22, um, verse 3. And I'll give you a second to get there. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's, oh, I started in the wrong place. Chapter, I mean, verse three, not verse one. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshalim, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people and let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house that is to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house but no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand for they deal honestly and Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan, the and Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all of Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. This is God's word. Praise be to God. Thank you, Michelle. If this is your first time at Church of the City, my name is Jeremiah. I am the church planting apprentice. And yes, this is the first time I'll be preaching here at Church of the City. Um, if you haven't been here over the past few weeks, we've been going through this series called What is the Bible? We're trying to answer this question what is the Bible? The first week, Matt talked to us about how this book in and of itself is just a book, uh, but because God gives it authority and God reveals himself through this book, it's much more than that. Uh, last week, we got to hear from Dr. Wayne Baxter as to how this book is actually really reliable. The evidence for its trustworthiness is actually really overwhelming. But in spite of both of these reasons, ooh, in spite of both of these reasons, uh, you and I can both agree that we live in a culture that lives actually really far away from the Bible. In fact, you might even agree with me that our culture today tries to intentionally minimize the authority of the Bible. Today, what I'd like, what I'd like to do is uh, explore two things. First of all, what are the alternatives that we have in our culture today to the authority of the Bible? What do we have instead? And secondly, I want, to answer the, I want to answer the question as to whether the Bible is still important to us. I believe that it is. I believe it actually gives us better answers. Uh, but we'll get there. 
In many ways, the story of Josiah is very relevant for us today because Josiah, very much like us, lived in a context that was far away from God's law, far away from the obedience of God's scripture. Uh, They believed in other things. Uh, Josiah's father and grandfather, um, if you read the Old Testament, uh, were considered the worst kings in all of Israel's history. And the reason for this is because while God called his people, Israel, to worship him and him alone, King Ammon and King Manasseh allowed the worship of other gods, other idols. Uh, They allowed the inclusion of other practices that were not allowed in the law of God. Josiah is said to have inherited a wicked nation. But as we get into the story, the author sort of contrasts Josiah to, to his father and grandfather. It says, if you follow with me in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 2, it says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So this chapter begins, and the author is trying to perhaps suggest, maybe this guy can turn things around. Just maybe he can be the answer Uh, to the wicked nation of Israel. Uh, Let's delve further into this uh, this reading. I'm reading from 2 Kings 22, uh, verses 8 to 11. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and read it. And he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and delivered it into the hands of the workmen who have oversight over the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, more importantly, uh, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. Remember, this people was supposed to have by-hearted this book and were supposed to have been living in, in, in in this law yet it was catching dust in the temple. Um, And Shaphan read it before the king. So Josiah's responses are twofold. I'm going to continue reading. When the king heard the the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. This is fairly dramatic. If you watch Bollywood movies, you'd be able to relate to this emotion. Just like... And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Achim the son of Shaphan and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asai the king's servant saying, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindred against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. In many ways I can relate to Josiah. And maybe some of us can hear too. Uh, Before I chose to become a follower of Christ, I actually didn't think I was a bad person. You know, I uh, paid my taxes. I did well in school. I didn't overtly try to hurt people. I was okay. It was not until I actually read the Bible and understood how far I was, how far away I was from God, uh, that I actually truly understood how much I needed him. It was a punch in the gut. That's what he feels here. He tore his clothes and then he asked people to go and inquire to make sure that this was right. Because if it is right, God was truly angry at his people. Josiah continues 
a reform in this nation, in, in the nation, it continues to read in the next chapter, chapter 23. Josiah flipped the script on everything. Thank you. Um, it, it continues to read in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 1 to 3, if you want to follow with me. That's 2 Kings 23, verses 1 to 3. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart, all of his soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in this covenant. Uh, The story goes on to say that Josiah removes all the things, all the alternatives that were there in his culture. It says in verse 4 that he destroys the idols of Baal and Asherah. He got rid of the priests that made sacrifices to other gods. He defiled or destroyed the altars to the god Topheth where child sacrifices were practiced. All of these things were against what God called his pe- how God called pe- his people to live. You sitting there might think, you know, how does this apply to us today? Like we as a culture don't do those barbaric things. We don't worship figures. Um, we don't have child sacrifices. I want to argue that Um, not much has changed in our culture today. Like in the days of Josiah, we have created alternatives to God, and I want to explore three of them with you. Uh, The first one is reason. So in Josiah's time, and again to remind you, uh, Israel was called to only worship one God. So you might be asking, where did all of these idols come from? How did Israel let all of these idols enter their temple, especially once to Baal and Asherah? Um, prior to the reign of Josiah, uh, the kings before him, like I said, they were considered wicked. They stopped trusting in God for their protection. So Israel had many enemies. And God called Israel to trust in him to defend their nation. But instead of trusting in God, they started trusting in their neighbors to protect them, one of them being Babylon. So they went to Babylon, hey, can you protect us from our enemies? And Babylon was like, okay. We can protect you, but you need to worship our gods or you need to allow us to worship our gods in your kingdom. The reasons the idols were there is because Israel stopped trusting in God ultimately. And in many ways, like the Israelites, we have turned to human reason and science to answer all the questions about life and where we get our value from. We, we try to find all our answers to questions about the big questions in science, in our own reasoning. Uh, I have a friend in Guelph. Sorry, I have more than one friend in Guelph. <laughs> he, he teaches at the University of Guelph, and, and we have many spiritual conversations. And, you know, while he enjoys the fact that, you know, I'm a nice person, I do good things, for the life of him, he, for the life of him, he can't understand why I believe in a God that I can't see, feel, touch, hear, or smell. Um, And he doesn't understand why I give authority to this book that was written for him nearly 2,000 years ago. For my friend, all that matters is the tangible things, the things that he can fully reason with. There might be some of you that believe that here today, and there are many 
prominent thinkers in our cultures that believe that. People like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, you might have heard of them. So what does science, how does science give value to us? Science teaches us that we're, we're a body of many parts all put together. We have a brain and we're called to survive. It's truly the survival of the fittest. That's where we find our value. And if that is true, it shouldn't surprise us that Richard Dawkins would come out on Twitter and say it is morally our responsibility to terminate the pregnancies of fetuses with Down syndrome. He actually said that earlier this year. And listen, I'm not going on a rampage against science. Um, I actually enjoy it. I think it actually explains well um, how things happen in our world today. But the reality is if we go to science to answer all the ultimate questions, you cannot disagree with someone like Richard Dawkins. Tim Keller, in his book, Making Sense of God, he says this, the declaration that science is the only arbiter of truth is not itself a scientific finding, it's a belief. And moreover, um, one of my favorite philosophers, his name is Thomas Nagel, he says this, I speak from experience being strongly subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't want to believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want, there to, I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that, the cosmic, uh, that this cosmic authority problem is not a rare condition and it is, the respo- it is responsible for much of the scientism and the reductionism of our time. One of the tendencies is to support the ludicrous overuse of evolutionary biology to explain everything about human life, including everything about the human mind. He continues to say, this is somewhat ridiculous of a situation. It is just as irrational to be influenced in one's beliefs by the hope that God does not exist as by the hope that God does exist. This quote is actually really powerful. And it says two things about the uh, atheistic worldview. Um, It says that, first of all, science cannot prove that God doesn't exist. And secondly, if we go to science to answer all of the questions... It, was, it is doing something it was never meant to do. Many of the prominent scientists of the scientific revolution were actually people that believe in God. Isaac Newton, Galileo. Today, uh, there are many scientists that believe in God. People like my, uh, Michael Collins, uh, the discoverer of DNA, the Human Genome Project. These are all believers of God. They believe that while science can answer well how, the Bible can still answer better why. Why do we exist? Why do we have value? The biblical response uh, we can find in Genesis 1 verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are ultimately more valuable than just body parts. We're ultimately more valuable than just trying to survive. That's not where we find our meaning. 
We find our meaning in the reality that we were created by our God, and not only that, that he actually places his image in each and every one of us. This means that no matter where you come from, the color of your skin, the things that you struggle with on this earth, at our foundational level, we were created by God, and we were created in his image. That's where we find our value. We are valuable. So what are other alternatives that we find in our culture? So first, we had reason. Second, we have relativism. Uh, I took philosophy in my undergrad, uh, if some of you don't know that. And uh, a lot of what I went face-to-face with is this idea that there are so many truths and all of them are right. We even started to question, I started to question at the end of philosophy why I took philosophy in the first place. And Josiah, again, did not live in a culture that's far away from this. Josiah had to kick out priests of other religions that were worshiping their gods in the temple of God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. So now there's not just one God. You have multiple options of worship. You have multiple priests that you can go to. So if God cannot be relied upon and science cannot answer all the questions, maybe there's not just one truth, there are multiple truths. We as a culture have killed the necessity of truth by suggesting that there are multiple truths. Jordan Peterson, who is a, uh, an agnostic professor at U of T, says that it is because of this that we as a culture have been lazy to actually understanding what is true because we have the excuse there are too many truths. But here's the problem with this. If what is true for you is true for you, and what is true for me is true for me, what if my truth says that your truth is a lie? Thank Lecrae for that quote. I didn't come up with that. It's actually kind of cool. Can two contradicting truths actually coexist? Can they both be right? In our culture today, we have this polarizing topic of abortion, right? On the one hand, you have people that believe um, that there is a life, there is a human being inside the womb, and we're called to protect it, him or her. On the other hand, you have a worldview that says we need to protect the rights of the woman to do what she wants with her body. What's become more prominent uh, in our culture today more and more is that you have women that are specifically aborting female children because in the culture that they come from, male children are more valuable. It brings up this conundrum, do we, which woman's rights are we protecting? And it's hard. Two truths, two contradicting truths cannot stand in face of each other. One of them has to be true. So how does the Bible respond? It says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, For us there is but one God, the Father, whom all things came, came and from whom we exist. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom we exist. The Bible preaches one truth. The fact that we were all sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God. And it is because God sends his son, Jesus, uh, to live a perfect life, die on our behalf, take the wrath of God onto himself, that now if we believe in Jesus, we can actually be in relationship with God, our creator, our maker. 
It makes logical sense that if we were created in his image, if we were called to be image bearers of God, that his, his ideas of what are right and wrong are actually for us. Jesus says with his disciples in the Gospels, he's, he says this to religious fanatics or religious uh, Pharisees, um, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, without getting into what the Sabbath is, essentially what it's saying is that the law was created for us, for our benefit. There is only one truth, and it doesn't contradict. The third option that we've come up with, and somewhat similar to the relativism in our culture, is, um, is, is culture itself. So if science cannot answer all of our questions and it makes no sense that there are multiple truths, maybe I can rely on my culture. Maybe my culture says what's right. And we see an example of this in Josiah's time. Uh, there was an altar to the god Topheth, and, and the cultural practice of the time was child sacrifice. And this was so far against the law of God. Just because something is cultural does not make it right. If you know anything about me, you know I love Indian food. I really do. I, I would have it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But the reality is that if I do that, I would be very unhealthy. Right? India is the capital of type 2 diabetes in this whole world. And there's a good reason for that. The amount of carbs that we love, oh my gosh. Rice, roti, potato, all of these things. My wife reminds me of this daily, <laughs> that I can't have Indian food all the time. And she's a blessing in my life. <laughs> Just because something is cultural does not make it right. Uh, today, in our culture, there's this movement uh, that uh, Islamic leaders have tried to push to bring Sharia law, which is a law that prevails in Islamic countries, to Canada. So if you're a Muslim, you live under a different law. That's what they're trying to bring forth onto Parliament. Now, without getting into great detail of what this law consists of, what is true and universally true about this law is that it seems that it's oppressive to women. So women are not allowed to have an education. Uh, women are not allowed to have many rights. Uh, they have to live under the authority of either their father or their husband. And the reason I say and I confirm um, that this is oppressive to women is because whenever this is brought up in public debate, it's not Christians or Canadians that go to protest this, it's Muslim women themselves. Just because something is cultural does not make it right. In the country that I come from, the caste system has been prevalent for a very long time, right? Uh, a system that says that people are categorized into different castes. You have the upper caste, you have the lower caste. And the system suggests that if you do well in either of these stages, you progress to the next level in your next life, karma. Right? Some of us are familiar with that. So in India, there's this systematic oppression of people that are poor and cannot afford to do things because if a person in the upper caste helps someone in a lower caste, they're not letting the people in their lower caste fulfill their duty on this earth. So it's, they're morally obligated not to help people. Just because something is cultural does not make it right. What about our culture here today? 
there's this new idea out there, and we're trying to redefine this all the time. We try to redefine marriage. Because of the rampant uh, increase in the amount of divorces in our culture, uh, people are starting to discuss maybe we need to change what marriage looks like. Maybe we can have these things called starter marriages. This is a real thing that's happening in our culture today. So much like you sign a contract for your phone for two years or however long, you can sign a timed contract for your marriage. Now, I got married six months ago. Today, actually. Thank you. Thank you. This is what my vows to my wife would have sounded like. Okay? Catherine, I love you and I seek to serve you for the next five years. (laughs) Catherine, I hope that I can be the best husband I can be for the next five years. I hope that we can build a home in the next five years. We as a culture have completely started to redefine what love actually means. What I want to suggest to you is that love is not correlated with happiness all the time. And for, for those of you that have been married longer than I have, you know this. Right? True love is a sacrificial one. When I am willing to tell my wife, I am willing to sacrifice my happiness, my desires for yours. And I hope to grow in that. I'm not perfect in it. Um, I hope to grow in that. But like I said, just because our culture says something about marriage does not make it right. How does the Bible respond? It says uh, in, in, it says in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but the new has come. No culture is perfect, because no human is perfect. We are all broken, and when we as people try to create culture, it will ultimately reflect the brokenness that is inside of all of us. We cannot create a perfect culture. The Bible is better because it tells us that no matter who we are and where we come from, we are invited back into God's culture. If we were created in God's image, and we can rely on God to show us how to live, Um, he also invites us back to live in his image and invites us back to live in his culture. And this is done because, again, it's not because of what we do on this earth. There's nothing we can do to gain the perfection of God. And he knew this, so he sent his son, his only son, to live this perfect life, to take on God's anger on himself. He died on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice He rose again to defeat death so that we no longer, if we believe in Jesus, we no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear God because everything, all of the things of our past have been wiped away. We are a new creation. We are invited back into God's culture. So how do we we try to reform the culture around us today? If we agree... If, we, if some of us can agree that the Bible gives us a better answer, how do, we, how do we live in this world? How can we be reformers in our culture like Josiah was, like Josiah tried to do? We see three things in his story. We, first of all, we need to understand that we need to either discover slash rediscover the word of God. 
Like I said in my story, it was only once I encountered the word of God, it was this punch in the gut feeling that no matter what I tried to do, I could not be perfect. Like in the story of Josiah, we need to understand that true life change will always be Bible saturated through and through. True life change is not simply a renewed fervor for spiritual things because a lot of other ideologies say that. Buddhists say that. Oprah Winfrey, Tom Cruise say that. You know, for spiritual, we're good. God says something different. God says that when we look at his scripture, we actually get a glimpse to see who God is and how much he actually loves us. In a couple of days... Uh, The church is celebrating 500 years of the Reformation. And without, again, getting too much in what the Reformation is, basically, it was this monk in the Catholic Church who realized that the culture around him, uh, the church around him, was not obeying Scripture. He read his Bible and realized something needs to change. Even though we say we're religious, we're actually not following uh, what the Bible says. Instead of saying that, Ultimately, Jesus is the only answer for our sin. The, the church tried, tried to sell uh, salvation, tried to sell the remission of sins. We celebrate 500 years of that reformation that was saturated because someone read his Bible. Secondly, we must have a renewed fear of God. Here's something that I was praying throughout the past couple of weeks. Lord, help me fear you more than I fear people. Let's face it, if you're a Christian here today and, and you share this fear with me, you're scared to tell your neighbors, your coworkers. Uh, some of you are scared to tell your classmates um, that you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus. Um, I'll admit to you that like, throughout this week, I was actually more afraid of all of you in doing this more than I was actually fearful of God. If we're really going to do anything truly useful, we must learn to love love God's favor more than we love the praise of people. And you can hear this uh, in Josiah in verse 13. The wrath of God is kindred against us and rightly so. He will not look on sin lightly and our sins have been very great. We have provoked his anger. Josiah is shaken to the core. Josiah takes God's word seriously because he takes God seriously. And lastly, we can learn from the story that we must practice what we preach. Josiah seemed to have a massive turnaround in his life that ultimately created a reform in his nation. He flipped the script on everything. It actually says about him in chapter 23, verses 25, if you want to go there with me, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after. That's a pretty great thing to say about a king. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, who is the father of the Indian nation, um, what many of uh, people may not, what many people may not know, is that he actually studied law in South Africa. He encountered Christians, and this is what he had to say about Christ and Christians. He says, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. 
Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. The context here is that for the first time, uh, he actually encountered people that believed in Christ but are also racist uh, to the people around them. One color was better than the other color. That is not what Christ teaches. What happens when we as a culture take God seriously, take his word seriously, um, and we also practice what we preach? I believe that this world would be changed. And let me, let me tell you this. If, if it seems like a tall order to try and live perfectly, it is. None of us can do it on our own strength. As much as Josiah, as, as we read in verse 25, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to the law of Moses, nor did any arise after him. The very next verse, follow it with me, it says, still the Lord did not turn away from his burning um, of his great wrath by which his anger was kindred against Judah, Josiah's kingdom, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off the city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house which I said, my name will be there. No matter how much Josiah tried to live perfectly, he could not save his people. This is why Jesus is really important. If you get anything out of this, know that you cannot be a reformer in your culture. You cannot know who God is and live like God calls us to live on our own strength. We need Jesus. Jesus came, lived the perfect life. He sacrificed himself on the cross. He died and rose again so that when God looks on us now, His anger is no longer there if we believe in Jesus. We're called to be slaves to righteousness. We actually have the strength uh, to live perfectly through his Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he sent, after a certain amount of time, he sent his Holy Spirit to us. His Spirit lives in us. So that now when we go and try to rediscover the scriptures, the Holy Spirit actually shows us, gives us more understanding of who God is based on his scriptures. The Holy Spirit also convicts us of the ways that we live away from God to redirect us to God. And ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to be reformers in our culture today. We, if we believe in Christ, we no longer live in fear. Uh, we want our missional communities, a church of the city, to truly impact the life of people in our context. To show that ultimately we have value because God created us in his image and we have the ability through Jesus Christ and what he did to be reunited to that image. Uh, if you're sitting here and you're not a believer in Jesus. I really want to ask you and invite you to crack open the Bible. Read about what it says about him. And a good starting point today is I'd like to invite you guys up for prayer. Um, there are going to be people up here that are willing to pray with you. Um, if, if you need healing mentally, physically, spiritually, uh, we as a church believe that ultimately we go to God for all of our strength. Um, So I'd invite you to come and pray. 
I'm going to pray to end today. Jesus, we thank you that you are truly, uh, you truly give us power to live on this earth. And it is because of your sacrifice that we can be reconnected with our creator. Lord, we love you. Um, Lord, teach us every day to live more like your son, Jesus. We can do nothing without you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.